welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me is only my singular co-host this week. I'm Hui Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. Anya will not be joining us today because she has only seen one of these movies of the, in the series. Possibly one and a half. Possibly She's one and a half. She's unsure. Yeah, of the series um, that we're about to review. We're actually going to review the final film in this animated series. Um, and that film is How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. All right, before we dive into our review of How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, we have a, a word from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by flying. According to Superman, it's still the safest way to travel. Well, thanks, Superman. <laughs> and uh, flying is definitely a big theme with this uh, film review today because How to Train Your Dragon, as you can see, is about dragons. But it's more than about dragons. It's about friendship and bonds and uh, lots and lots of crying. So, yep. <laughs> How to Train Your How to Train Your Dragon is a uh, How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World is the third film in the How to Train Your Dragon franchise, and it follows Hiccup as he discovers that Toothless isn't the only Night Fury, so he must seek the Hidden World, a secret dragon utopia, before a hired tyrant named Grimmel finds it first. Um, this is the third film that is directed by Dean DeBlois, and um, it is the. Uh, the film that caps off this franchise that started in 2009. It's 10 years now. Yup. Wow. We spent 10 years with it's... this franchise. Yeah. Our entire friendship is shorter than this series. It's kind of makes me a little emotional but that's okay because that's what how to yeah. train your dragon is about um so before we dive into our in-depth review of how to train your dragon the hidden world um Willoughby, can you tell me what your initial thoughts are about How to Train Your Dragon 3? So, three movies in my life have made me cry as deeply hard as this movie did. And that movie is, those movies are Toy Story 3, Christopher Robin, and the final two minutes of this movie. <laughs> like, I, I was vi like visibly shaking with emotion. In, in the final sequence of this movie, which, not to spoil it, but it gets pretty emotional. I feel like that's fair to say. This is the, the climax, the, the finisher of a movie, the final movie in this trilogy, and it's like, they, re they, they, they nailed it. They nailed it. That's, you know, I think it, I think the, the movie itself, we can get into it, but I think the movie as, like, a plot-based movie is sort of, I wouldn't say weak, I would say basic, like it's sort of like it's nothing, nothing too, too out of place with the with the universe. It's very in line with what the second movie was like. It was like there's like dark hiccup has come to take the dragons. Like that's sort of like, you know, kind of what each of these the second and third movies been where it's like a a dark reflection of a dragon trainer has come to do something with these dragons. And but the kicker is the the ending of this movie i feel like really seals the deal here it sort of just like encapsulates every all the emotions that you've experienced throughout this entire series and brings it into one powerful punch at the very end and i think that 
like we're, we'll get into ratings later, but I would rate the ending of the movie higher than the rest of the movie. If that makes sense. Yeah. I completely agree with you, Willoughby. I think that this was an imperfect movie, but it was the perfect ending to this franchise. Um, my biggest That's a problem... lot more eloquent than what I just said. <laughs> well, I, I spent a lot of time like uh, brainstorming it beforehand, so it's not your fault. <laughs> I did write a review, review about this. Oh, I'm sorry? I was just going to say, you wrote a review for this for Slash Film, right? I did. I wrote a review of How to Train Your Dragon to the Hidden World for Slash Film, which you can find on SlashFilm.com. But um, to give my basic thoughts on this film is that I think that um, there are the big problem with How to Train Your Dragon 3 is that it, a lot of its plot is not only a rehash of the second film, but it kind of takes the focus away from Hiccup and Toothless for a large majority of it when, you know, they are the emotional narrative backbone of this series. And I think that this film soars when it brings that focus back to them. And it, it finally does that in the last like third of the film, but it does kind of spend a little time getting there. And that was a little frustrating for me because I'm like, I don't really care about the, all these other ensemble characters as fun as they are. Like I could have done with maybe like the the first third, like having that first fight scene, which I thought was really fun, kind of kooky, and then kind of going away from them and going back to Hiccup and Toothless, which I always thought was the most compelling part of this franchise and this series and this movie. Um, so I I think that yeah, the, I that the film stumbled a little bit, but it finally stuck the landing because of just like how powerful that ending was, and um, I was surprised too that it wasn't quite as um like gut wrenching. As I thought it would be, but mm-hmm. I was pleasantly so. I actually liked that this ending was more bittersweet in the way that, like, even Toy Story three was, which is that like it tore your heart out. This was just kind of like a gentle tugging, but in a way that felt like it, almost more grounded. It was a gentle tugging, in a sense that, well, for me, it was much more of like heartstrings ripping, mm-hmm. but but not because of anything dark. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's it comes back to the love that Hiccup and Toothless have for each other and how that extends towards the rest of Burke at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, like that really solidified, like the, like the, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say even, I, maybe a little bit of childhood and like nostalgia, mm-hmm. but even though I was 18 when this movie came, when the first movie came out, like it, I can't say childhood nostalgia, but I could I, like. I think there's like growing the, up. The ref- that reflection yeah, of growing, growing up. up. And we'll get and, we'll go further deeper into that with the themes of this movie because I think that this that really nails on the head what this movie like excels at. Yeah, and yeah, the, the a big theme of this movie is growing up and growing apart, and but like that that love is still there, mm-hmm. and the that's what I think this the series excels at and i'm kind of losing my point here so i'll just bring it back to you before (laughs) before i sputter out no i totally agree i think that it really um hits that emotional like resonance really well um despite having some like narrative flaws but um let's dive deeper into oh go ahead I was just going to say, I remember what it, what it reminds me of. It reminds me a little bit of how Harry Potter ends, mm-hmm. where it's not a it's not a sad ending, but you still cry and you still feel emotions because, again, yeah, it's like the it's the theme of growing up. Like you're like it's the final chapter. It's the end of 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 something here. Yeah. And 
I yeah, like I would say yeah, like Toy Story three, um, and Harry Potter are like these long lasting series, and like those endings still get get me in this one forever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's dive a little deeper into uh, each of the elements of How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Um, first, we'll go into plot, characters, and then finally themes. So let's get into the problems of this movie, which is the plot. Um, and it's kind of just like a very basic plot, as you said. I think what frustrated me the most is that it was basically recycling the plot of How to Train Your Dragon 2 right down to the villain who, while I liked well, what F. Murray Abraham was doing, I liked how he's kind of like this more intellectual villain. He was kind of had the same both motivations and like character type as uh, was it Drogo? Drago? Drago, Drago, Drago. Uh, was it was it Drogo or Drago? Drago was Cal Drago. I think it was Drogo. That makes sense. I, either way, it you know. He's not a memorable villain. I mean, his character this... design was. Yeah. The villains of the series have but... never really been memorable. I... But I also don't think it was... The villain of the first movie was was Burke. Was like was... the yeah, idea yeah. that... It, I mean, there was that massive dragon that was eating the little dragons mm. that they had to like destroy to like free them from whatever hypnosis they were under. That was how to but, train dragon too. Like, the dragon that was the first one. Oh. They were both sort of, or not, oh, wait, hold on. How to Train Your Dragon 1, the dragons were, I, I guess wouldn't say hypnotized, but they were drawn to feeding the the big dragon. Right. And then How to Train Your Dragon 2, Drago was actually hypnotizing them, which is why it was like emotionally devastating when Toothless kills Stoic. Spoiler alert, I guess. If you're watch- if you're listening to this at this point, I think you're a fan. Um, we're sort of in spoiler territory, I guess. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, that was the second one. But like the, I remember the in the first one because I rewatched it recently. The the dragons were not under hypnosis, but they were like basically enslaved to this like large dragon mm-hmm. to like feed them. And then when they didn't have a big enough offering, the dragon would eat it. Mm-hmm. And like their goal was to like kill that dragon. Um, right. But also like turning the hearts and minds of the citizens of Burke into being uh, favorable to dragons was like the real antagonist. Yes, that was actually the most interesting conflict, I think, of the How to Train Your Dragon series. And yeah, and like with How to Train Your Dragon 2 was Drago, Drogo, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just calling him Drago from now on. Jamon Hunsu. <laughs> Jamon Hunsu. He just wanted to like control all the dragons and raise an army of dragons and Grimmel he doesn't want to control them but he wants to like kill all the dragons and some something very similar what? and he also uses dragons as like his pets or um yeah, weapons in a drugged. way mm-hmm. they're drugs he's he's like this weird combination where he's like hired by apparently the same people that hired Drogo to do it or like Drogo was a part of this cabal of villains yeah like the warlords and... or whatever with these warlords that apparently were were like machinations of the strings of How to Train Your Dragon 2 because they were like, oh, you've come to finish the job that Drago started or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And, and then they disappear like, okay, for like the latter half of the movie. Right. They're completely nothing. Um, and and uh, Grimmel wants to kill all the Night Furies. Mm-hmm. And that, but then, like, enslave the rest of the dragons for the warlords. Like, I, that's what I feel like his two-part plan was. Yeah. 
but it's never very like compelling it's like okay it's a bad guy who wants to kill the dragons we know that hiccup is gonna save the day actually so this is another plug to slash film but um my boss, uh, Peter Serretta, did an interview with uh, director Dean DeBlas, and he talked about the original plans for the for How to Train Your Dragon Two were very different in terms of who would who the villain would be. So, um, in How to Train Your Dragon Two, they initially planned for um, uh, Valda, uh, Hiccup's Valka? mother. Val, I'm sorry. Valka. Valka, yes, Valka, Hiccup's mother to be the main antagonist of How to Train Your Dragon 2. And it was because a, of a um, primary conflict of interest. You know, she is the the warrior who is trying to protect the dragons, um, but she, does, she believes that, you know, dragons and humans can't live side by side, whereas Hiccup believes that they can live in harmony. So because of that, they have that big conflict. And Drogo is kind of a factor, but he doesn't appear till like, the end of... How to Train Your Dragon 2, and um, that leads into him being the main antagonist of How to Train Your Dragon 3. And in that, in, in the third one, Valka comes in and has a change of heart and becomes Hiccup's strongest ally. And thinking about that, as much as I really liked uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2, I feel like that original plan, despite being much darker, would have made for a much more interesting um, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. I agree because it would it's still sort of the conflict of humans and humans pers- perspective or perception of dragons mm-hmm. I guess would would it, that follow through would still be there because yeah. it's like by the time you get to how to train your dragon to all of Burke is sort of cool with dragons yeah and then like the only people who don't like dragons are like the the like real evil people of mm-hmm. like the world whereas Burke was always sort of like well these dragons are killing our cheap we gotta stop them yeah. like where you like you can sort of see their like theory their feelings towards dragons are not like evil they're just like we're trying to protect our homes yeah but then they realize that what they thought about dragons was completely wrong yeah and but like Valka's on like the complete opposite side and that she's trying to protect the dragons but she believes that humans are their worst enemy and so that's really interesting to me because it, it has like that grander philosophical argument, but also makes it very personal for Hiccup. Um, oh, so, and Stoic too. And, and Stoic. Um, although I really love like the reunion between Stoic and Valka in, in How to Train Your Dragon 2. It's so beautiful. It's um, very good. But that would have been really interesting. I mean, not to say that I wish that it, that would have happened because um, I, I think that How to Train Your Dragon 3 is a great film. Um, despite its flaws, I just think that perhaps it would have made it feel like less like it's just recycling the plot from How to Train Your Dragon 2. Right. Like, now that you say that Drago was going to be, like, the, the main antagonist of 3, like, 2 is sort of like he, they jumped the gun, mm-hmm. and now they're like, well, shit, now we don't have an antagonist. Hiccup's mom is good. What do we do? Let's just come up with another dragon killer. So, I mean, you know, these are ultimately also kids' movies. Yeah. So... I, but I also don't want to excuse that in a way because we've seen very excellent kids movies. But, you know, in like uh, this last month, too, the like a movie, too, is a very good kids movie, but also an incredibly well done movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, no, no hard pass for that. But I will say that, you know, it's OK that the plot is still sort of a rehash because I feel like the, our our feelings and emotions about 
the 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 series coalesce into one final like movement at the end of the movie. I agree. Um, so, what did you think about uh, the Light Fury? Um, did you like that? Like they, she and um, Toothless had like these long extended sequences in which they were like kind of courting each other and they were cute and it was kind of Wally esque and I enjoyed them. But did you think that they maybe like dragged on too long or took away from Hiccup and Toothless's story? I did not. My girlfriend did, and mm-hmm. I see where she's coming from. But I was sort of like, I was all in. I bought it. I was like, I'm. I'm picking up what they're putting down here. Like, yeah. uh, I thought it was very beautiful animation, and like, at, at this point, it was an it was like a showcase of what they can do. Where they're just like, here are these two dragons, and they're emoting, and you're you you can you see exactly what they're feeling on their faces and their body language, and the whole like the music was great, the animation was perfect. Like, it was very like I can show you like. Show, I can show you the world situation where they're like mm-hmm. flying around and like seeing different parts of, of, I don't know, Northern England, that whole like Scandinavian area. Yeah. Like I thought that was very beautiful. And I was like, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Um. So like, I can see why it'd be, they'd be, they were a little like, they sort of did pause the entire plot every, every time Hick, uh, Toothless went on a date. But I was also like, totally there for it so it, yeah. it, it didn't bother me i was on board with it too because i felt like it was driving the central conflict between toothless and hiccup um mm-hmm. and i thought like that was really essential to see like why uh toothless was being like pulled away and stuff the one thing that bothered me was that it seemed like it was part of like grimmel's ma- master plan versus being a part of like a natural um like you know occurrence i think it was wasn't I mean, it it was it... but i felt like it, for me it kind of stained their interactions cause i felt like for some reason that the light fury was uh manipulating uh toothless for a lot of it true um yeah. so that was kind of but i don't think she, I, I think she ended up not being she was just sort of like i don't want to say used but like they released her into the wild yeah for the purpose of or for the purpose of of bre- breaking apart the dynamic duo yeah but at the same time like i think her emotions were valid yeah in terms of like she really did also love toothless as much as toothless loved yeah. the light fury they never named her no she was just miss light fury <laughs> the light the night fury i actually really like the interactions and i thought the animation was expe- especially impressive because when you have long stretches of like no dialogue like that you really need to put it all into the animation and into the physicality of that. And it, I think that it works really well. The only parts for me of the movie that I thought dragged were really just like the comedy bits, which while I enjoy How to Train Your Dragon, how funny and kind of screwball it is, I felt like some of it was just like too long and like they were they were leading too much into how goofy the ensemble was. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. Oh, Do you need like a million jokes about this guy's beard? <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of, did you realize that they replaced T.J. Miller with a uh, a voice alike actor? I didn't. It know. wasn't T.J. Miller anymore. Well, it goes to show that yeah, crime doesn't pay in Hollywood. I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's not crime, but no. Well, I thought I I didn't know if they if they were gonna replace T.J. Miller mm. because he, he was he still does the mucus commercials or at least. Oh, yeah. You know, they're like around, uh-huh. but they never, you know, they didn't dub over his voice. But it was like halfway into the movie where I was like, I don't think that's T.J. Miller, even though it sounds it's a very similar 
sounding actor because he's in Kingdom Hearts three, like as the big hero as the big hero six character. Oh, that's annoying. I haven't gotten that far yet, and now I'm gonna be sad. So I mean, you'll 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 have eventually found out about that. But I mean, he's not a big part of. Yeah. He's just you know he's part he's part of Big Hero Six, which it's a very pure and wholesome arc in that game. Yeah. So I very hope I can't wait for you to get to that. But I will say, yeah, so, like, he was still in Kingdom Hearts 3, but um, uh, DreamWorks kicked his butt to the, to the curb. DreamWorks. Because, uh, like, I was like, they, they've given him a lot more dialogue, but that's not T.J. Miller. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> he was the, uh, whatever, Toughkin or whatever, right? I don't not know. Not a rough nut. What, what, either, uh, but Kristen Wiig was the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, Jonah Hill's uh, character fell in love with Hiccup's mother. Yeah, see, like, so those things I, I could have done without. I mean, like, I know that I, I found them charming, but I felt like they kind of just hammered in those beats a few too many times where I was like, okay, let's get back to Hiccup and Toothless. I did like um, Astrid, though. I enjoyed, like, because it felt like it was she was really part of Hiccup's um, journey and his arc. I mean, not that she was not her own character. I actually really like that she is so she always she feels like her own fully fleshed character but i like her better when she is connected to to um hiccup some uh somehow versus in how to train your dragon 2 she was kind of off with her own subplot and got like the john snow guy and i was like i don't really care about this but he's back this one too he's back but he also feels kind of extraneous which felt oh he's so extraneous he's so extraneous even like valka feels a little extraneous at some point like she gets one and a half cool fight scenes and then like two words of wisdom and then she's kind of not really a pivotal part which is a little sad considering how pivotal she was to the second film yeah but yeah um yeah both of both of them both of them are a little exposition heavy in mm-hmm. terms of like a lot of their dialogue is oh these dragon killers are evil and they're they're the like explainers of like who these new bad guys are yeah um and Valka is like the scout who goes up ahead and like there's like oh there's so many dragons um or there's so many like you know there's an there's like a navy on the on its way um but yeah i'd say like the the overall like the sort of the burkians are going to be burkians like they're going to be kind of dopey and kind of like the comic relief mm-hmm. um which is ironic considering like Jay Baruchel is like a comedy actor, but he plays the straight man yeah. in like almost all his, all his, uh, his movies and TV shows. He's the, everyone else is, uh, someone wacky. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it really, it really should come down to toothless and hiccup. And like, like we've been saying all the entire episode, the ending really hammers that home. Yeah, I think so. Um, so we covered a little bit about the characters. Um, Let's yeah, let's dive more into them. Uh, what did you think of Grimmel as a villain? We talked a little bit about it, but did you like uh, what they were doing with him? Were there any moments that we were like that you did like, what you disliked? I liked. I I th- I thought he was pretty fearsome in terms of, you know, the the scene where he like shows up in Hiccup's house. I thought mm-hmm. that was a very terrifying scene. I thought that was probably his best his best scene as a villain was because you're just like oh shit he's like you know they checked for him and he still found a way inside and i was like oh damn um but then hiccup got the best of him and that was pretty cool uh but then still they were they're sort of like wrapping around each other um and i i thought 
when they were sent, when he was giving his sort of spiel backstory that he killed a night fury and then just like could not stop killing night furies sort of reminded he like like i said earlier like these these villains are reflections of what hiccup could be yeah and he he is the closest to an evil hiccup as we'll ever get that's interesting because he's like oh like oh i killed a night fury and you know my 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 village called me a hero and i have never stopped and i was like of this movie and he he uh um he couldn't do it and that's what turned him into a hero which is but by completing the action of killing a night fury that's what led grimmel to being like a evil villain so i thought that was an interesting parallel and that brought a a deeper a like deeper than drago as a villain Mm -hmm. i I think like because there was this interesting connection that he and hiccup had um but overall i'd say like yeah the the like the times when he was just being a villain and like catching the dragons i was like we've seen this before um and i think that he uh could could have been a little bit more fleshed out but i liked a little bit of backstory that they gave him yeah that's interesting i actually didn't think about that parallel i kind of wish they had a little bit more backstory instead of him being like oh i killed a night fury and i liked it which i guess is like fine in terms of like the parallel for hiccup which i didn't catch the first time but that's a good parallel Um, For him, I liked him more, I think, in concept than execution. I think that I really liked how they tried to set him apart from Drago, Drogo. And um, (laughs) they made him sort of this more sinister, almost... You remind me a bit of Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. In that, like... He's got that long face. Yeah, he's got the long face and the very just kind of subdued... um, maliciousness to him so I like and I liked really what um, F. Mary Abraham was doing with his performance I thought it was kind of like uh, a very sinister thing Um, but yeah I just think that the part he played in the plot was just not interesting but yeah I really liked the scene where he shows up at Hiccup's house I thought that was really promising Um, and like the few character moments moments that he gets are fascinating but like just like not fleshed out enough you know like they don't completely follow through so yeah I think that's like I guess my problem with this movie is that, like, I feel like they pick up a lot of interesting threads, but they don't really follow through with a lot of it, um, which makes sense because, like, I mean, at the same time, they're trying to wrap up this franchise and they have to do it in a way that doesn't feel too messy, and I think they do a good job of that. But in the end, it feels a little bit almost half-assed in a way. Um, but uh, other characters, yeah, I mean, like, I've talked about, like, the characters of Rick. I think they're fine. I actually really do like the first, the opening fight scene in which you get, like, a clear idea of who the characters are and, like, their like, camaraderie and how silly and kind of, like, their off offbeat sort of chemistry with each other, like, right away. And, like, that was, like, okay, that's what I need. And then, like, they they kind of lean too far into it and they have to, like, keep kind of, you know doubling down they on gave all you those too, things huh they gave you too much of what you wanted they gave me too much like i was like okay this is this is good it was a really good start and then like they kind of just kept going and so like that's for me it was um my big problem with like the characters of that because it was just like too much you know but um i did like i like their costumes they're mm-hmm. uh, they're like dragon armor oh yeah that's like, really cool that was really cool and, uh, and you know they're they're it was all sort of like in in tandem with their with their dragons and also like their personalities and i thought that worked out and but i was like i saw when they all flew in i was like oh this is like power rangers yeah 
and like Batman actually just like the the parallels with the villains too like um true Hiccup was very Batman in this in a lot of his fight scenes anyways it, well his his mask reminded me of Spider-Man and I was mm. like oh okay yeah <laughs> no I really enjoyed I think like um just to go off a little bit this the visuals are just like uh top notch in this like they keep upping themselves every film and like this film looked gorgeous Roger um, Deakins visual consultant for yeah, all three for all three and there's like that tactile feeling to it because he brings in that you know live action cinematography um, perspective and they really like did so much with that this time with the angles the bird's eye views I love the fog I felt like it was so moody and atmospheric this time around I really enjoyed that and especially with the, I like when they go- oh sorry with the courtship scenes with the with the hiccup not hiccup with toothless and um and the light fury like those scenes were really gorgeous too like at night and all of the lighting and the fluorescence and everything. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say I was gonna say I like the scenes at the end with with winter because mm. you never really see winter and until the end and I'm like oh yeah Vikings in winter that's the good shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah no I really like that. Um, do we have anything else we want to say about characters? Uh, I do want to add a little bit about um, Astrid and Hiccup and talk about, like, I kind of mentioned this before, I really like their relationship, and I feel like it's very rare that we see um, a mature, healthy, romantic relationship like this, this far into, like, an animated franchise especially. Like, it was so nice just to see their their sweet, like, really... Uh, familiar moments where they're kind of teasing each other and you, it's obviously they know each other really well and they love each other and I feel like that's so rare because there always there's there's conflict in all these romantic relationships especially in like in animated movies where it's all about conflict or in like the second film where they kind of like okay they're together what are we gonna do just like separate them and I feel like this one was right I, I liked a lot what they what they did with that and um it kind of goes to the whole like the films just like very unprecedented aging up of Hiccup and all the characters. Um, I think that's like why it's so interesting to me. Like these characters grew up with us in a way that's different than like Toy Story. In that like, you know, Andy we grew up with, but he's like kind of a peripheral character. The main characters stay the same, but here they really change. And I enjoy that a lot. I mean, the only ones that don't change are the, the other Burkeans, I guess, which is, I guess, why I was annoyed by them too. But I really like to see Hiccup and Astrid change along with kind of Toothless in a way. Yeah, Toothless definitely does some maturing. Like, that scene where he and the Light Fury are in the hidden world, and, like, he's king of the... He's the alpha, yeah. and, like, everyone bows to him. And I'm like, oh, this is the Lion King moment. I love this. Yeah. I'm all in. I saw so, that, too. I you really know, I thought that. that was, like... He lo- he's he was very Simba-esque in that moment, so mm-hmm. I was very proud of my boy, Toothless. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I totally agree. When I remember the, the trailer... For how to train your dragon too and hiccup took off his helmet and suddenly he had like a jaw and yeah. i was like oh shit they are they aging these characters up that's fantastic because like you said it's almost unprecedented to do that and they actually they actually did it they i think it, i think it takes five years mm-hmm. between the first and second movie and then this one i think they said it was about a year between the second and third because yeah. the characters still kind of look the same yeah. um but it's still like that's such a fascinating thing that they did mm-hmm. where they're just like, yeah, we're going to age these characters up and that's going to bring an emotional maturity that really in kids franchises, you only see in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's very rare. And it was a big gamble, I think, for them to make. And I think it, they pulled it off totally, completely. Um, and that kind of leads us into the themes of this film, which is, you know. Yes, it does. That's it's a, about a very up. good good segue. Yeah. It is about growing up. And um, um, I, I actually want to talk about um, Hiccup. And, uh, you know, like Hiccup and, um, and Toothless have that codependent relationship at the beginning because it was like physically codependent. Toothless could only fly with Hiccup, but towards the end it became more emotional and spiritual in a way. And I like that this film delves into um, Hiccup's sort of um, anxiety over losing that one thing that made him, that he thought like made him worthwhile. I really like that, like his sort of dependency on on Hiccup, on, on Toothless, in addition to, yeah. to Toothless's dependency it's on Hiccup. Sort of, it sort of reminded me, not so much, but like in, the, in superhero stories where they are no longer, like in Iron Man 3, he doesn't have the suit anymore, but he's still Iron Man. In Spider-Man Homecoming, he doesn't have the fancy Stark suit, but he does have his old... Uh, um, his like homemade suit mm. and he has to like like the these characters become who they are from within not not by what they have i guess so even though toothless and hiccup have each other emotionally it's time for them to grow apart and for toothless to go make little night fury babies yeah. with the light fury and hiccup to do, do the same with astrid um and I thought that that was a very, I mean, it was a very emotional thing for, you know, to see, you know, these characters that we've grown, that we've grown up with or, you know, seen grown up with, like, like, you know, grow apart. And it's very, like, you know, realistic and mature. And I think that a great, it's going to be a great lesson for kids who are going to grow up and, like, get to high school and suddenly their best friend is not going to the the same college as them Mm -hmm. and you're like oh shit what do i do and i think that that this movie is a perfect example of of showcasing that you can you can go back to them yeah that they'll still be in your heart and they'll still be like with you if not physically emotionally still i think you put that perfectly willoughby i don't know how to add to that without yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say this is a film about like the themes are just about um you know drifting apart and i love how that the the story like the movie makes it not just a not a sad ending it's about it's just kind of how life is and it's bittersweet. It makes it more, it's bittersweet it's like it's a very realistic ending despite having it through this sort of fantasy um scope and i really enjoyed that i like that they avoided having it to be like a tragic sacrifice ending because i feel like that's something they could have easily gone for and that would have gotten like the easy waterworks but i feel like it would have wouldn't have been quite as mature and um, as complex as what they actually do. And I quite like that. I don't know if it'll completely like hold over with kids who are watching this, um, but it's something that I really appreciate as someone who like grew up watching this series. Right. I think it, I think a 13 year old might not get it, but maybe an 18 year old would, you know, like I think that it's, 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 it's more of an, it's emotionally mature for, for little kids, but I think that for like a a kid of toothless, I'm doing it too. A a kid of hiccups age would probably react similarly. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, like you, 
Like, that's just sort of, like, what you would do. Um, yeah, and I think it's perfect, actually, for the... I know it's what I would do. <laughs> yeah. It's actually perfect for the audience that did grow up with this series. Like, let's say, like, you know, when they saw the first How to Train Your Dragon when they were eight or something, ten years later, they'd be 18, and they're just learning about those kind yeah. of issues now. And that's so fascinating to me. Like, DreamWorks... It's sort of what happened with... <laughs> It's what happened with uh, Toy Story 3. Andy goes to college when we go to college. Yeah. And I feel like this is almost more resonant because it is like the main characters, like you were saying before. And um, I really like that. I really like how they're able to put that spin on that boy and his dog story, but make it more just about friendship in general and growing up and getting married and going through life and stuff. And I like that a lot. Right? Yeah. Um, It sort of reminded me, have you seen Wreck-It Ralph 2 yet? I haven't. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just say that the ending of this movie re- reminds me of Wreck-It Ralph 2. Mm. So, um, which also hit me, like, emotionally resonantly. Um, yeah, no, I, I think this movie is amazing. Um, the themes of it are uh, extremely my shit. I'm all about that nostalgia plus melancholy plus friendship plus growing up like all of that is extremely my shit which is probably why for for the for the last two minutes of this movie i was sobbing uncontrollably yeah and then the when at the end when spoilers they during the credits they uh show the through the years the uh the uh. scenes of hiccup and uh and toothless and it's just that really just like hammers it in it that it was the scene that actually like made me just kind of shiver all over be like oh this is what we were building towards and it really was worth it. I think the moment that it hit me when the, when the waterworks really started to fly or the moment where spoiler alert, I mean, we're deep in spoiler territory here, but just in case, um, hiccups, kids, uh, put their hands out for toothless to touch their hands. And then it immediately smash cuts to hiccup and his son riding on toothless into the sky. And that music is playing and just like it's a perfect scene and there's it perfectly encapsulates everything about the series in one full sequence at the very end of the, of a perfect trilogy and i was weeping and i thought it was beautiful and the next day when i went to work i made the mistake of listening to the music soundtrack from that very moment uh and i was crying on the metro so you know a regular friday of course um, and let's also let's give a shout out to that score. It is so gorgeous. Um, that music is by John Powell, who just like does a phenomenal job with this. It's soaring. It's just like emotive. It's affecting. Um, he did, I think, the other ones. Yeah, he did all the other How to Train Your Dragons. He did well. all three. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, th- those those themes from the first movie are just like iconic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Um, do you have anything you want to add to cap off our How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World review? Anya, if you're listening, please go back and watch these movies. Yep. Watch all two, not just one and a half. And three as well. And then go watch three in the theaters before it leaves theaters. Although I think it's, it did pretty well at the box office, so it's going to stick around. It should. This is honestly, like, one of the best animated franchises ever. If not one of the best, like one of the best, just like franchises in general, it does so well yeah. at like bringing this story forward. And it's something I feel like that's almost, I don't know, from a bygone time. I And I feel sad that we're, we're going to be without it. Um, and it's a I think it makes sense of this. 
I think it makes sense that this series is with DreamWorks, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, founded by Spielberg. Yeah. It has that Amblin-esque so, quality to it. I think um, it works. I'm going to cry. Okay. Um, <laughs> how Same. Ma- how, how many stars would you rate How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, out of five? I'm going to say four. I also say four. Hey! Hey! We give it a four. Four out of. Five. I would give it. I give. I give the ending a five. Actually, I give the ending a ten out of five. <laughs> but I give the movie overall a four out of five. Yep, agreed. I think that it's because of just like how great the first one is. Like the first one is a perfect movie. That's a five out of five movie. Yeah. So yes, the Millennial Falcon gives How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World a four out of five. Let's give the series a five out of five, though. The series. Is yeah, five the out whole of five. series. <laughs> It's right. great. It's a good series. Everybody, if you, ha- if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't watched any of these movies and you're like, oh, maybe I should check them out. Check, check them out. Check these movies out. They're very good. And if you are animal lovers, the dragons are based off of cats. I mean, and dogs. And dogs. And they are they're super, both. And they're super cute. Oh my God. Toothless is the cutest. Toothless is adorable. Okay. Um, before we head to our last segment of the episode we have one more word from our sponsors the millennial falcon is brought to you by emotions this movie gave me a lot all right let's move on to the last segment of our episode i really 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 like you but i need to tell you something all righty will it be why don't you start us off? What's you really like this week? Um, so I've been rewatching a lot of Batman, like I said last week, and I'm still watching a lot of Batman. And uh, but I've moved on from the animated series original to Batman Beyond, which is my favorite of the DC animated universe, the DCAU how, or DCAU. Yeah, it's it's like very different than the original Batman theme by Danny Elfman, but it's like perfectly encapsulates everything about Batman Beyond in one in one fluid movement. Um, and the score for Batman Beyond is just as good as Shirley Walker's score for Batman animated series. It's different. It's so like you know futuristic, and there's a lot of it's heavy guitar. It's very like cyberpunk metal. Oh yeah. This movie came out in 1999, same year as the, uh, or this sh- show, I should say, came out in 1999, same year as The Matrix. It's very uh, heavily inspired by like Akira and um, a lot of st- uh, cyberpunk and, and anime and, and like all this stuff. And I think it it holds up as a show that's now 20 years old. Um, it's uh, unfortunately uh, the the version of the show that's on DC universe is not high def. They didn't do a remaster, but it's still like kind of that quality of like watching an old TV show. And you're like, Oh yeah, this reminds me when I was a kid. So like, it didn't worry. It didn't bother me too much. It doesn't bother me too much. I'm still in the middle of watching them. But like when they, the, the remaster for um, the animated series from 1992, they did such a perfect job with it where it feels like it was hand drawn today. Like it looks perfect. Um, and so, like, going from that to Batman Beyond, which is only made 20 years ago, but there's still, like, a clear difference in the fact that it, it was just standard definition animation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works. Ter- uh, Will Friedle as Terry McGinnis is 
amazing and kevin conroy as old bruce wayne is just just great just grumpy grumpy bruce he's finally as as, as grumpy as as his as he should be yeah his soul is always a 70 year old man so it works out that in this series he actually is one um and we should say that batman beyond the prologue to that takes place in 19 in 2019 mm-hmm. when batman gives gives up the cape and cowl and then 20 years later terry mcginnis takes it up again so it is still so yeah batman beyond. oh yeah so we, we got another 20 years before batman beyond actually is uh our time but yeah so when you told me this you told me this a while ago that um and it kind of blew my mind in terms of just like how batman beyond what it's like about and you told me that it's basically if spider-man was in the bat suit and like had oh yeah old batman as his mentor and i was like that is perfect i love that description and it makes so much sense so. yeah he's like a kid it's not an adult it's like yeah it's like if robin took over mm-hmm. when he was only when he was robin and not nightwing or something yeah. um yeah, I can't wait to fin- finish up the series and then move on to Return of the Joker. And then I'll probably go back and watch uh, Superman, the animated series, because I don't think I ever watched all of it. I remember watching bits of it when it would be on Kids WB, mm-hmm. but I remember watching Batman a lot more because I liked Batman a lot more. But I, now I appreciate Superman a lot more as an adult, so I want to go back and see how that animated series holds up. I actually watched Superman more when I was young. Like He was the first superhero I watched. And then I watched the crossover between him and Batman in uh, World's Finest. And I was scared of Batman at first because I thought he was a villain. Because he was all black and he was really mean. He kept bullying Superman. (laughs) That's his whole shtick. I know. I didn't know that at the time. So, But then after that, I became a mega Batman fan. And Batman Beyond was like one of my favorite shows. So, see, we all go back to Batman in the end. Batman Seems. Beyond is so good. I've met so many people who who call Batman Beyond their favorite Batman show, it's... and so I'm glad we're not alone. Yep, it's so good. All right, um, so my really like this week is a musical that I got to see with my mom, who was visiting me in New York this weekend in anticipation of my birthday. That's right, folks. Hey, happy birthday! Thanks. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, it will be my birthday. Uh, my birthday is the 26th. We're recording the night before. And um, I'm going to be in my late 20s, as we were discussing before the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only I'm only six months younger than you, so I'll be in my late 20s in October. Oh, my God. I'm going to be old. I'm going to die. We're old. Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> in happy news, I went to see Wicked. Yeah. Um, so it was my first time seeing Wicked, which is the musical based off of the Gregory Maguire novel um i actually had read the novel uh way back when i don't know like 10 years ago so i don't remember much of it but i remember the novel being much more sort of like grim dark and edgy and like very sort of like boundary and button pushing which was interesting because i I was like into revisionist fairy tales at the time but definitely not something that i enjoyed that much because i just i don't remember much of it obviously um i think i remember like the first the beginning of the book starts with like a donkey show um oh jesus yeah and then there's like i think alphaba is a product of rape so it's just like holy that's all you need to know like that it just goes down from there and you're like man this is very dense it's very political and uh musical the musical 
takes some of like those narrative beats but it streamlines it so it's much more understandable much more entertaining and just kind of compelling to watch i'm sorry i'm guessing palatable too yeah much more palatable um and like i found i definitely like the musical a lot better um it has much more like universal themes about friendship and sort of like identity and stuff and i enjoyed watching that a lot i um i saw the the new cast who just recently finished i think a national tour um and they're really good like Elphaba and glinda are just amazing they hit all of those notes and they just like they're high notes like send chills down my spine and um i the music is great i of course know defying gravity but i really enjoyed the final duet song um i forgot what it's called uh it is a song that i'm looking up right now and i'm gonna keep while you're looking that up i'll say that i've never seen wicked heard the book but i have watched tin man the sci-fi miniseries oh my yeah, there's a lot Which of stuff sort of in this world. Um, For Good. I really like that song. That's like the big finale uh, between Alphaba and Glinda. And that's a really great duet. Um, and yeah, this um, the musical does feel more like a direct prequel to Wizard of Oz. Whereas the book, I remember feeling kind of like it was set in that world, but was only like tangentially related. Like you see Dorothy show up, but like it's not really the same world. Whereas like this one feels more like actually a prequel to the wizard of oz that we know and uh, i enjoyed some of that while some of it was a little on the nose like they had i think they turned one of the characters who in the book died he they turned him into the scarecrow and uh for me it was like it was like really funny almost because i kept laughing like it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be funny but it was like he's like the sexy scarecrow and i thought that was hilarious <laughs> i was just like a sexy scarecrow <laughs> Now, does it does it do like what Rogue One does, where it sort of like leads up almost exactly to the minute that yeah. Wizard of Oz starts? Yeah, actually, huh. like the fi- the entirety of Wizard of Oz takes place in like the last act or something, but it's kind of like the Zeppo like, where it's just like it's all happening on the oh, side. Oh, oh, so it's like the Wizard of Oz, but from the Wicked Witch's perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like the first two oh. thirds, the first two acts are like just about her life and her origin and everything, and then the last act is oh, yeah, like. You see Dorothy, you kind of hear about Dorothy landing and like you, they kind of take place like on the outskirts of the story. And um, so, yeah, it's just like, really funny to be like the sexy scarecrow ass. Like, that's so funny. And like, he's like the Where's, love interest. The... I'm sorry. Wait, he's the love interest? He's the love interest of Elphaba. And uh, he, he later becomes the scarecrow of, of the Wizard of Oz, like little trio. And like, oh, that... shit. <laughs> I mean, I guess he doesn't have a brain, so he doesn't remember that the Wicked Witch was his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. it was. I was just did they did they do they like set up the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion? They do. Or do, do they? They're just ancillary. They the Tin Man is more is actually pretty primary. This this lion is pretty in, in, ancillary, um, but the way they set it up is kind of like really on the nose. They're like they keep saying like, oh, he doesn't. He's kind of a jerk. He doesn't have a heart, or like. This cat, this lion is really scared of things. <laughs> <laughs> and the love interest is like, I know I'm dumb, but... And I'm like, okay, they don't really need to do that much. They did a lot. But it's right. a musical, so they have to do, like, some things that are on the nose. But it's just like, Wait, I don't know why. I couldn't get over the sexy scarecrow. I was just like, it, we just saw be- him being, like, all, like, hot and stuff. And, and then it was like... And they had, like, a very, like, um steamy scene. And then, like, later on, he's the scarecrow. <laughs> It has to be broad enough to hit the 
the balcony. Yeah, yeah. you have to see everything, you know? Yeah. It has to be that big. I know. That's what. There's just, like, one part where he, like, you... swings into the scene after she's, like, about to be captured on, like, a rope. And he's like, no! And I was like, oh, my God. This is hilarious. This is just me making fun of him. I actually liked him a lot. His name, his character name is Fiero. I thought he was good, but, like, I don't know why. I just couldn't get over the sexy scarecrow part. His name is Fiero the Scarecrow? <laughs> Uh, I can't wait for Wicked the movie, which is coming out next year or yeah. two years from now, so I can finally enjoy uh, this show that I've never really had any interest. But now you're saying that the Scarecrow was the Wicked Witch's boyfriend, and I'm like deeply intrigued by that notion. <laughs> I just can't get over like sexy Scarecrow. I'm sorry, I've I've been saying sexy way too many times. But um, yeah, I'm 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 glad that your interest is piqued. It's a good story. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's about friendship and like different people coming together, and a little bit kind of it's it's definitely a sad ending. It's a very bittersweet ending. But um, what else was I gonna say? Well, yeah, the yeah. the Wizard of Oz does not end well for the Wicked Witch of the West. It does not. It does not. Um, but it's definitely much more optimistic than the. Uh, than the book was which is like kind of relentless it was a lot um so that was my really like for this week um if you're interested if you're interested in talking to us about how to train your dragon the hidden world the how to train your dragon series uh batman beyond or wicked please let us know and where can they do that willoughby you can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can listen, rate, review, and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. And where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.